I was in uh, finish line a few weeks ago buying some shoes, and I'm talking to this young guy, and uh, we started talking about the church, and, and I invited him to church. Hey, you should come check it out. You might love it. You might hate it. You never know, right? I always say that. And he goes, what church is this? I told him. And he goes, oh, Albie, who just graduated, he goes, he's been inviting me for a while. So let's give it up for Albie one more time. <laughs> Earlier, I saw a moth flying around, and um, did you know, did you guys know that we're not supposed to kill them anymore? Did you, have you heard that? Because the, the declining bee population, we need moths to um, fertilize and, and like, what's the word, pollinate, and so, so don't kill them. Try to live in harmony and peace. Try to love them. God made them, they're ugly, know that. But it's like the butterfly's ugly sister. You know what I mean? Like, there's really, they, they didn't do anything. They just were born ugly. So we all know people who were born ugly. And we still love them. So, all right. Anyway, okay, sorry. Enough about moths. So we're continuing our series, Anonymous. And we're looking at people in the Bible whose stories we know, but whose names we don't know. And we're going to do this one a little bit different. We're going to go to the very end of the story. And we're going to read something Jesus says. And then we're going to work backwards and read the story. So at the very end of this story, John chapter 8, and if you're doing our, our Bible reading along with us in the Bible reading plan in, in the YouVersion Bible, then you're reading this story tomorrow, as a matter of fact. But John chapter 8, verse 12 says, uh, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. How many of you guys would be honest enough to admit that you were afraid of the dark as a kid. How many were afraid of the dark as a kid? So we had a basement at my house, and um, I wasn't really afraid of the dark in, in, our, in our room for two reasons. One, we had a nightlight, so that helped. And two, I shared the bedroom with my brother Ray, and he plays the drums here. So if you've ever seen my brother Ray, you know that the dark is afraid of Ray. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I wasn't afraid, but when I was a kid, we had a basement, and the light was at the bottom of the stairs. I don't know what kind of jacked up person puts a light switch at the bottom of the stairs? But my mom would say, Angel, go downstairs and put this away or go get this. And I was like in fourth grade and I was this chubby fourth grader that would flip the light off and it was like Mexican Usain Bolt running up the stairs because I knew they were about to grab me. Like, is anybody else afraid of the dark as a kid, right? And maybe even, even as you get older, Darkness is uncomfortable because, like say you, you get home from a late flight or something, you have to walk to your car, it's dark, it's very uncomfortable. It's not, doesn't feel safe. And, and so the solution for darkness is light. And if you read through the Bible, we see over and over this comparison between light and darkness. In the beginning, the Bible says, Genesis chapter 1, God says, let there be light, and He separates the darkness from the light. We also see... God is called light in 1 John 1, 5. It says, God is light. In Him, there is no darkness at all. Even look at what Jesus said when He's about to be crucified. Jesus, again, compares darkness to light. Every day I was with you in the temple courts and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. So with this picture in mind of Jesus being light, and the opposite of light is darkness. It's actually not the opposite of light. Darkness has no strength. It's just the absence of light. 
is really what darkness is. And so with this in mind, we're going to look at our character today. John chapter 8, uh, we don't know her name, we just know her as the woman caught in adultery. So Jesus is teaching in the temple courts, and there's his religious leaders that hated him. They were jealous of his ministry. They hated him for, for confronting the way they treated people who they thought were lower than them. Instead of loving them, they, they condemned them. So they decide they're going to try and trap Jesus in his words. And they knew that his ministry was popular with people that they considered low or below them. So they thought, if we could catch Jesus condemning one of those people that are lower than us, then that would, he'd lose his following because he had a lot of folks that followed him that came from that same group of what they thought were low people. So this is what happens in John chapter 8. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. If you're familiar with this story, you know that we never read anything about the guy. Right? We never read anything about where is the man who was also caught in adultery. It's because this was a setup. So it was all planned and they trapped this lady and so they're trying to trap Jesus. Now we're not going to get into the whole adultery thing too much because I think we'd be missing the point. The point is she was caught doing something she shouldn't have been doing. So she was breaking one of the Ten Commandments. God created these Ten Commandments, gave them to the nation of Israel when they were in the, out in the desert, and He did it as a way to keep them close to Him and to keep us safe. And so uh, these, these Ten Commandments make a great guideline for living. And a lot of times people think this is enough. If you just follow the Ten Commandments, this will be enough to get into heaven. And I've been a pastor for over 25 years now, and I can't tell you how many times I've had someone tell me my plan to get to heaven. Because oftentimes I'll ask people, so what do you think happens when you die? Like I like asking people that. I want to hear what they think, right? And, and a lot of times I've heard people say, well, if I just do more good things than bad things, I should make it. I'm not a bad person. I try and be a good person. I try and do the right thing. So I believe when I get to heaven, God is going to measure all of my good deeds and He's going to measure all my bad deeds and I've done more good than bad, I think, and so I'm going to get to heaven. Now, I understand that line of thinking. You know, that was basically my plan before I became a Christian. You know, God knows my heart. But the problem with that kind of thinking is we are the ones measuring what's good and what's bad. And then what we do is we measure ourselves against other people. And we say things like, well, at least I take care of my kids. You know what I mean? Like, we look at other people, and I'm not out partying like so-and-so. I mean, I got my stuff, but at least I'm not doing whatever they do. And we feel good about ourselves, but the problem is we're comparing our darkness with someone else's darkness. And so we're comparing our sin, our mistakes, and our shortcomings to the sin, mistakes, and shortcomings of other people, and we always come out on top. And so we compare ourselves to other people, we look down on them. This is exactly what the Pharisees used to do, right? It's because we compare our intentions, at least I'm trying, to other people's actions. They're failing. It's called fundamental attribution error. And so when we do that, we always end up on top. So let's take a real quick look at that process. Uh, let's, let, if, if this is your plan, you're joining us online or you're here, and this is your general plan, to get into heaven. 
then we're going to see if it works. Okay? Is that fair? And you might, you might like me more after this. You might like me less. I don't care. All right? So here's the Ten Commandments. Uh, you're probably familiar with them. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself any idol. Don't take the name of the Lord in vain. Remember the Sabbath. Keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. And then we have the five uh, do nots. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not lie. And do not envy. So I, I think most people would agree if God is going to judge us against some standard, whether or not we're good enough, this would be a good one. Because he wrote this. It's kind of the foundation of our society, the Ten Commandments. So, uh, but before we, before we really get into that, let's look at what Jesus' brother James said about the Ten Commandments or the law. All right? James says, for whoever keeps the whole law or all the commandments and yet stumbles at just one point or breaks one commandment, is guilty of breaking all of it. So if you break one, you've broke them all. Is that clear? That's pretty simple, right? So like James says, here's the commandments. If you break one, you've broke them all. So let's see if your plan on getting into heaven is going to work. All right, so let's start with number eight. Don't raise your hand, all right? How many of you have ever stolen something? Even one time. Yeah, there's one honest person like me, yeah. Actually, it was this morning, all right? <laughs> it's in your office, Angel. You don't lock stuff up, all right? It could be a paperclip, be a pen from work. Have you ever eaten a grape while walking through the supermarket, right? You didn't pay for that grape, did you, right? Or maybe, maybe what you've stolen is time. You showed up for work three minutes late, didn't say anything. Or, or maybe you're one of those people that after your break is over at work, then you go to the bathroom and spend an extra 10 minutes, right? Or you spend 30 minutes on work time checking out what's going on on TikTok, right? If you've ever done that, uh, you, you're stealing time for your employer. Now, oh, Angel, you don't understand. No, you don't understand the law. Because James says if you've broken even one, you've broken them all, all right? Listen, all I'm trying to do is find out if your plan to get into heaven is going to work. All right? I'm trying to help you, so don't look at me like that. Okay, let's, let's go to a different one. This one, you'll like this better. Number five, honor your father and mother. This is a good one for these teenagers. You tell them, Angel. Tell them they need to honor their parents. Have, did, have you ever, did you ever, maybe growing up, disobey your parents even one time? Like you said you were going to the library to study, but you really went to to Jose's house <laughs> to meet up with Gertrude. You know what I mean? You, you, you weren't honest about where you were going or... If you, if you disobeyed your, your parents even one time, you've broken the law. All of it. You tell them, Pastor. You tell these kids, well, are you still honoring your parents? Like that doesn't end when you turn 18 or 21. Doesn't say that, does it? Doesn't say, honor your father and mother until you're grown. Doesn't say that. So. Are you still honoring them? Do you answer your phone when they call? Or do you let it go to voicemail? Do you roll your eyes when they try and give you advice? Do you go and visit them? Are you on? Okay, it's getting quiet. Let's, let me do a different one. Okay. How about number three? Do not take the Lord's name in vain. In other words, do not use God's word name as a cuss word. Has anybody ever done that? Did you do it this morning on the way to church? Okay. Or, or, okay, how about this one? 
do not commit adultery. You're like, okay, finally, I got one. I'm good. I've never, never cheated on my spouse, never slept with someone I wasn't married to. That's good. All right, you're doing great, right? But look what Jesus says. Jesus takes it up one step. He says, you've heard it that do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman or a man lustfully has already committed adultery with her or him in their heart. So if you've ever looked at someone a little too long, it's not the first look, it's the second. You know what I mean? Someone told me, I just never look away. So it's just the first look, all right? And you're like, ay mamacita, right? Ay papacito, right? And I don't know if it's like some beautiful supermodel. I don't know if you're into Joe Exotic and Larry the Cable Guy. I don't know what your jam is. I don't know what you're into, okay? But whatever it is, if you've looked too long, Jesus said you've already committed adultery in your heart. Jesus says the same thing about murder. If you've ever gotten angry with someone, then you've committed murder in your heart. Is there anybody that's still doing okay with the whole, I'm gonna just keep the Ten Commandments thing? Or are we all, here's the truth. We're in this story that Jesus, that, that the John is telling, and we are the woman. Because we've all broken at least one of the, the Ten Commandments, right? We're all guilty of breaking the law. And so in this story, as we're reading this story, recognize that this woman is you, and it's me, all right? So with that frame, let's keep going. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. That means that they ripped her out of bed. That means she's standing there half naked. They've dragged her out of bed. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? And they're telling the truth. In the law, Old Testament law, in the book of Leviticus, it says if someone is caught in the act of adultery, that they should take them out of the gates of the city and that the person who witnessed it should be the first one to throw a stone at them and kill them, stone them to death. I know when we're, that we're in Colorado and sometimes getting someone stoned means something very different here than it does. That would probably be a little bit of relief for this lady, but, but in this case, that's not what we're talking about lady is standing there and all she's done is broken one of the commandments just like we have and she's standing there humiliated embarrassed standing in front of God and everyone half-dressed can you imagine if the worst decision you ever made was on the front page of the paper tomorrow that's kind of what she's going through right now they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. So in other words, they're saying, look, if Jesus says, yeah, go ahead and stone her, then they would call him a hypocrite because he was known to be a friend of sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors. So they could say, well, he was pressured, that he doesn't really love people, he can't be the Messiah. But if he says, don't stone her, then they could say, he's saying it's okay to break the law of Moses, he can't be the Messiah. So they think they've got him trapped. This is what happens. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down 
and wrote on the ground. What this lady, what she's experiencing right now is grace. She's sitting there, caught in the act, sitting in the mess that she made. Have you ever found yourself sitting in the mess that you made? And if you're honest with yourself, you, would, you could say, well, it's this really because of the decisions that I make? This is because of the choices that I made, that I'm sitting here, I'm the one that messed up? But look at Jesus. Instead of scolding the woman, he gets down and starts writing in the dirt. By the way, this is the only record we have of Jesus ever writing anything. So he sits, he starts writing in the dirt. Uh, the Greek word here is katagraphian. Now there's a lot, of, a lot of speculation about what he wrote, and we don't know for sure. But because of this word was written, katagraphian, what that means is to write down a record against someone. So a lot of Bible scholars believe that what Jesus was writing was the names of the people who were holding the stones. So he would have been like, uh, and, and their sins, their record, right? So he could have written like Virgil, also adultery, Billy cheated on his taxes, Irene orders a water cup and fills it with Sprite. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that's stealing by the way. Anyway, so. These guys are so focused on her mistake that they completely disregard their own. Have you ever been around someone that was so focused on everybody else's mistakes that they completely gave themselves a pass? Isn't that frustrating? Raise your hand if you've ever been around somebody that was like that. Don't point at them if they're here, all right? We don't, we don't want to start a fight. Now here's the real question. Have you ever been so focused on someone else's mistakes that you completely disregarded your own? See, we're in this story twice. On one hand, we're the woman. On the other hand, we're the Pharisees. We each have an opportunity, once we come to Christ, to decide how we're going to treat people who are still outside of the boat. This church will be known for people who say, yeah, that was me too. You've been, you've been, you were in a mess? Yeah, I was too. Let me tell you what happened. Jesus changed my life. You, your kids drove you crazy? Mine too. I heard a pastor named Wayne Cordero say one time, uh, there's a little Pharisee that lives inside of every one of us, and he's dying to get out and just judge everybody. So we have to actively fight against that. So Jesus is writing on the ground, stands up, and he says, okay, you guys want to kill her? Whoever's never sinned, you go first. And then Jesus just starts writing in the ground again. Could you imagine that moment? Everybody's like, look what happens. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing. Now, it doesn't mean that they were all by themselves. They're, the disciples were there. There were other people watching, but he's talking about the Pharisees start leaving one at a time. And it's interesting because the older ones go first. You know what that is? Wisdom. These guys have been around. They looked and they saw Jesus was right and they stood down. They had to recognize and admit they were wrong. Have you ever apologized to your kids? Have you ever said, I was wrong? I missed it. It takes a great amount of humility to apologize to your kids. That's kind of what we're seeing here. These guys recognize what's happening. 
and they start dropping the rocks until it's only Jesus and this woman. Now, if I was this, now remember this woman, she was literally dragged out of bed, so she's probably half naked, she's embarrassed, she's afraid, she thinks she, she thought she was about to die. I think if I was there, if I was her, I would have ran. Once I saw my, my moment, I would have been gone. But she doesn't leave. She stays. And I think the reason she stays is because she's received grace, which is incredible, but she knows she needs something more. She needs something. She needs the power to live a new life. Look what Jesus does. Jesus straightened up and asked her. Woman, by the way, when Jesus says woman, it's not like today saying woman. Woman? It's not like that, right? It was... A, it was a different way, a different society, so it's not disrespectful at all. Uh, but I, when I, whenever I would read it, I'd be like, woman? <laughs> it's not like that. Okay. So now that's how you're going to read it. I'm sorry. Yeah. So Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Isn't that a beautiful moment? This woman is guilty. There's no question about that. And there's one person that could have thrown the stone. And he doesn't. And he could have condemned her. He could have said, man, you really messed up now. You're a married woman. We know she was married because the charge was adultery. He says, look at, he could have said, look at you. You're a mess. You made a mistake. What are your kids going to think? This is what they're going to remember about their mom. But he doesn't say any of that. He says, then neither do I condemn you. There's someone here joining us online maybe that you really need to hear this. God is not looking at you saying, get it together. Jesus is looking at you saying, then neither do I condemn you. Stop condemning yourself. The Bible says we have an accuser. It's not Jesus. It's Satan. We read a lot about him in, in chapter 12 of Revelation. And his voice sounds like this. Yeah, this Jesus stuff, it's, it's for everybody else, but it's not for you. You know how messed up you really are. You can't be forgiven. You're too messed up. Too much has happened. Too much time has passed. Jesus is telling her, and he's telling you, neither do I condemn you. In other words, you are forgiven. Then look what he does next. Go now and leave your life of sin. Do you see the urgency there? Go now and stop living this way. Go now and get out of this. Make a decision and act on it. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, it's no big deal. It's fine. He doesn't say, no harm, no foul, just two consenting adults. He doesn't say any of that. He calls it what it is, sin. And in our lives, he calls it the same thing. He, he calls our bad behavior for what it is. It's sin. Then he calls us to leave that life behind. So I don't, I don't tell people very often, I don't, at least I don't like to lead with this, uh, I don't like to tell them that I'm a pastor because then they change. You know what I mean? Um, like sometimes I'll say I'm a motivational speaker because that just that's easier <laughs> you know what I mean? where do you speak oh, I speak just mostly in Greeley <laughs> in Evans <laughs> right because when I tell people that this is often what the response is they'll say that they'll tell me why they don't like church that's usually what happens and uh, well I, I I don't really like church I don't really like Christians because they always judge me for blank and fill in the blank, whatever it is. They judge me for my, my drinking or my lifestyle or whatever, whatever, whatever it is, whatever, whatever the blank is. And so really what they're saying is, I would like to have a relationship with God, but first I have to give up blank. And I came here to push hard against that. 
God is not saying, if you'll give up your blank and then come to me, I'll show you grace. That's not what we see in this story, is it? She, she was caught in the act. And Jesus says, I forgive you. Then he says, now let's talk about this blank. And if God, so, so what Jesus really wants is your heart, just the way you are. And then, if he can get to your heart, maybe he'll talk to you about the blank. But if he does, he's also going to give you the power to deal with it because you've been trying to deal with it all your life and you haven't been successful. So you need to, there's no point in keep trying with on your own. Instead, let's give it to Jesus and let him from the inside out empower us to get rid of and deal with the blank. If he wants you to at all. So imagine this picture. He tells her, now go and leave your life of... Then he turns around and says to the people, I'm the light of the world. You see that? So he's looking, he, he just dealt with the Pharisees and the darkness of sin. And he's comparing that to himself. He says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He's not just telling that lady, hey, go get it together. Stop doing that. He's saying, follow me. He's offering his light and his power. And he's doing the same thing to us Today. What he's saying is, what you need is not more willpower, what you need is more of me. You have too much darkness in your life, what you need is more of the light. I am the opposite of darkness, Jesus says. You don't have to live in darkness, you don't have to live in shame, you don't have to live in self-condemnation. You can live in the light because I am the light. That's what he's offering us. So what do we do, right? Like, in the nation of Israel, they're a great picture of us. They're slaves in Egypt, and they're living in Egypt as slaves, but God didn't design them to be slaves in Egypt, and God didn't design you to live in darkness and be a slave to sin. So God rescues them. In the Old Testament, we see this picture, the Ten Commandments, all of that. He rescues them, and he takes them out of Egypt, and he takes them out into the desert. You remember that? And now they're on the desert, and you know what they start saying? They start saying, I liked it in Egypt better. Has anybody ever caught that in the Bible? They're like, man, we could go back. It was better there when we were slaves. They were killing the firstborn children of every family, but it was easier there. It was better. So God took them out of Egypt. And then you know what he's got to do? He's got to get Egypt out of them. And that's what he does with us. He takes us out of our old life, but we're still that person. So then he says, now I've got to get Egypt out of you. Then what he does is he gives them a new purpose. He never designed them to make bricks as slaves for the enemy. He designed them with a purpose in mind. And God designed you with a purpose in mind too. So God tells this lady, leave your life of sin. Come walk with me. Come follow me. And I'm going to give you a whole new life. And God offers us that same thing. So what do we do? What's the first step? I'm glad you asked me that. In two weeks, we're having our Discover class. And this is the big first step in you figuring out what God designed you to do. And you getting Egypt out of you. So if I was you, and I was in this church, and, I, and you're saying, this Mosaic's my church, I have a cross on my car, and Angel's my pastor, and everybody goes, oh, that guy that looks just like The Rock and Mario Lopez had a baby? Yeah, that's him. Okay, so that wasn't a joke. I get that all the time. Anyway, on June the 4th at 5, come to the Discover class. It takes about an hour. We're going to feed you. You're going to meet a few people. And you're going to learn about what that next step is to getting Egypt out of you and to finding your purpose. 
So let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for, for the incredible work you have done and are doing in our lives. And I pray, Lord, that each of us would experience and accept that gift of grace that you give us, just like you offered this lady. And I pray, Father, that as we accept it, that we would start to walk in the light, that we'd walk with you. We trust you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand and sing this last chorus with us one more time? What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a beautiful name it is. Nothing compares to this. What a beautiful name. choice right and and moving towards Jesus and um, you know he talks about discover and getting the Jesus or getting Egypt out of you and the first step in, in really doing that is is giving your life to Christ and, and the whole reason that Mosaic Church exists is to connect people uh, to Jesus and help them grow in that faith and so we never like to end a service without giving the opportunity to do that so with every eye closed every head bowed I'm gonna say a very simple prayer and all you need to do is just bring the heart behind it dear God Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you that you sent him to die on a cross for my sins. God, I know that I'm a sinner, and I ask you to wash away my sins. Come into my heart. Be Lord of my life. I make you number one in everything I do. Help me to serve you from this day forward. Amen. You said that prayer for the first time. We want to welcome you to the family of Jesus. And God, yep. Um, and a simple step that you can do is, um, you guys may be seated, first of all. Um, simple step you can do is if you take out your smartphone and you just uh, scan that QR code, it's going to take you to a link tree with uh, those little colors there you see. It can take you right to the website. You can give online, which we're going to do our, our giving here in just a moment. Um, but if you just said that prayer for the first time, you want to click on where it says New Believer. And um, we have some, some information, a gift for you that we want to send you. The other thing that you can do um, as a new, uh, new believer is we want you to text um, welcome. Oh, excuse me. The other thing is a first-time visitor or if you've been coming a few times and you just haven't quite, you know, taken the step to want to learn more and understand about who we are, you'll want to click on the first-time visitor or you can text welcome to the number that's going to be, there it is, 970-478-8898. So text that. Uh, we're just going to ask you for, like, your social security number and your credit card information and stuff like that. You know, just kidding. We're not going to do any of that. It's just going to send you some information about the church, um, some information about things that are coming up. Um, and one of those things that is coming up, uh, as Angel had already mentioned, is Discover Mosaic. So June 4th, um, that is a Sunday at 5 p.m. here at the church. We feed you, um, help you uh, discover what it is that God has gifted you with and how you can utilize that um, to grow and walk in your faith. Okay? A couple other quick announcements. Um, graduates, again, just a reminder, if you know anyone or they come to church, maybe just... They weren't here this week. Maybe they're home getting ready for their party. Make sure they show up and uh, get, get with us so we can give them their gift. Um, we also have worship night, May 28th. So one week from today, 7 p.m. here in the church. 
um, one hour of just worship, just praise and worship at 7 p.m. So come on out for that. And last, uh, last week, uh, we had the baby bottles being handed out. If you were walking out and they were already gone or you would like another one, um, they are on the way out. So make sure you grab baby bottle. They are due on Father's Day. So fill them up with your change, um, bust out your checkbook, put $1,000 in there, whatever God calls you to do. Totally kidding, but it, whatever God calls you to do. Um, but fill it up with your change, and we, something we've been doing, geez, for at least 10 years uh, to help the Resource Center out. So um, we're going to go ahead and pray over this uh, tithe and offering. And um, there's four ways in which you can give. Uh, you can put your uh, cash or check into the envelope and put it into the black box on the way out. You can give at GreeleyMosaic.com. Text any amount there to the number you see there, or you can use the Church Center app. So we are going to pray over this morning's tithe and offering, and then we will dismiss. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for all of your grace and your mercy. Lord, we thank you for your provision in our lives. We give this to you, Father God, with a full and a joyful and a generous heart, knowing that you're going to use it to have an impact in the spiritual climate here in northern Colorado and beyond. Lord, we give to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Guys, have a wonderful, wonderful Sunday. We've got some folks up here on prayer team if you need some additional prayer. And hey, go Nuggets. Yeah.